Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How many people think that turnover doesn't cost a lot of money? Blows my mind. Turnover is the most expensive thing that your business deals with. More than anything else, turnover is incredibly expensive. And if you would just invest in your people, the return on investment is huge. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. In today's episode, we're chatting with Ryan Englund, the CEO of Core Matters. We'll dive into the importance of employee experience and its direct impact on business growth. Ever wonder how to draw in the best talent without the chase? Ryan's got some insights. Plus, we'll touch on the magic of a solid company culture when it comes to hiring. If you're looking to give your hiring process a boost and take your business to the next level, you'll want to hear what Ryan has to say. So grab your favorite drink, settle in, and let's get started. Hey, Ryan, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going? Hi, it's going great today. Thank you, Tyler, for having me. Yeah, so uh, just having a little brief chat with you before we got started. You're pounding out the podcast today, it sounds like. I am. Every Monday. One after another. Hey, so I always love to start with, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you do professionally? And then we'll dive in from there. Yeah, so I grew up in a blue-collar household. My dad was an owner-operator. I learned real early on that these entrepreneurs, they get started, especially in the trades or any blue collar business where a lot of people are involved, they get sucked into the business and they stay there way too long because they don't have enough people. And so as I got older and I said, hey, I want to help guys like my dad solve this problem. So I did was develop the CoreFit hiring system, which is a set of tools and processes that we help our clients implement so they can hire better people faster. Yeah. One thing I researching a little bit about you, I love on your website and I want to get into talking about your dad and just your upbringing. You have this timeline and the timeline shows, you know, okay, this is where I was at this point in my life. This is here. This is here. And I thought it was really cool how you all, you laid that out. It just gives you a good idea of what got you from A to B. Thank you. Yeah. Very cool. So, Hey, let's start with your dad. Your dad, I believe traveled 80 miles at one point each way to provide for his family and be able to have weekends off. And I think this is what pushed you a little bit. Can we start there? Could you share that a little bit and just the details? Yeah, it was um, three weeks before I ended my sophomore year of high school. So I'm still a sophomore. And my dad has my brother and me packed in the back of his car on his way to work, dropping us off at the high school we were still at. 
80 miles away just so we could finish the year. But he wanted to get us out of the big city, get us up to the country a little bit more so that when he was at home, he was home. It wasn't like he could just run to the office real easily. And he, you know, he wanted something better for us. So we moved out of the city and he would commute 80 miles every day. He'd get up before the sun, he'd get home after the sun. But on the weekends, he was there. Like on the weekends, there was no, let me go stop by the office real quick because it was an hour and a half away. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of good things came out of that, but that was one of my dad's traps because he was 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week. Like that was just normal for him. And as I spent more time with him and I grew up and got older, I realized it wasn't because nobody wanted to work for him. He just didn't know how. He didn't have the skills. He was in manufacturing. That's what he did. He knew how to get that plant running, get production done, but no one ever taught him the softer side of business. And so from there, did you know at that point, like, hey, I really want to understand the, you know, fix this problem. I want to be part of this fixing of this problem of getting quality people that can feel engaged to wherever they're working and, and be part of that. I mean, when did that start to frame where? I wish it could say that it was this total selfless part of me that said, hey, I want to help people like my dad. It wasn't until years later that I figured out that's what was really driving me. I started a marketing company. And I worked with blue collar companies, helping them acquire customers. And I hit this period, it was about six months where I just had all these customers canceling services with me, not because we weren't doing a good job. They said we were doing too good a job, right? It's, a, it's you, it's, it's me, it's not you, you know, kind of thing. And um, they would get these leads that they couldn't service because they didn't have enough technicians. And so I thought, well, I got to save these clients. Recruiting doesn't seem that hard. Let me go figure that out. And I did it and it worked so well that they turned the leads back on. It's like, this is awesome. Well, then I tell my next client that. I tell my next client that. And before you know it, all my clients are thinking, hey, can you help me with technicians? Can you help me with customer service reps? And that became more of our relationship than it was lead gen. And that's what transitioned me into it. And then I remember my sales coach at the time says, Ryan, why do you do this? Like, why are you so passionate about this? Like, He goes, I I see this side of you. You're just always excited to help these people with recruiting. And we started digging into it and it just, I start, shared the story with my dad and he's like, like, that's why I do this. Like I had no idea. So it came full circle, but I, it wasn't just directly, it wasn't like I just went from point A to point B. <laughs> yeah. So when I think blue collar, you know, I, I often will call it trade services. Maybe they don't overlap or overlap a little bit, but I often think those are some of the most challenging hires because, you know, you often see really high turnover. Oftentimes the pay rates aren't as much as some other higher level positions. Yeah. She's got a lot of challenges there. And sometimes there's just a lack of supply of that type of talent. How did you fix this problem? Like, how do you suddenly start getting these great results? What's your kind of secret formula, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah. So when I think of blue collar, I have a little bit of a broad term. Not everybody agrees with me on this, but I think of it as your product or service, what you're selling as a business depends on the physical input of another person. In other words, a machine can't do parts of it. I would even put nursing in blue collar. I mean, that's a laborious, physically demanding job. And I would even say those types of jobs are what our system helps fill, helps solve for. So two things that I figured out real early on. Number one, you got to have a process. You've got to have something so that when someone applies, they go through the same process. And that process creates an experience for them. We all talk about customer experience, but for some reason, no one's ever thought, 
well, who creates the customer experience? Oh yeah, it's our employees. Maybe we should have an employee experience. And so that's what that process is about. How do you create a great experience so people go, wow, that was the best recruiting process I've ever been through. I'm going to go tell my friends how awesome it was to get a job here. So that's one part of it. But then the other part of it was realizing that these people have to learn how to fish for people. See, everybody thinks, oh, I'm just going to hire a staffing company or I'm going to hire a recruiter and they go hunting for me and they'll find these people for me. And then they drop them off. And these people are like, I don't want to work for you. (laughs) This isn't the right fit for me. And so what we had to do was realize that the real problem when it comes to fishing is is we have to stop looking for people and start thinking about attracting people, just like a fish. You don't go hunting for fish. You attract them with bait. You go to the right place, the right kind of gear, all of that. And when you make this shift and you think that recruiting is really a marketing activity, not an HR activity, it's marketing, and you approach it as such, all of a sudden it becomes so much easier for you to stand out get people to notice you, get people to raise their hand and say, I want to be a part of your team. And once someone knows how to catch fish, feed themselves for life. Right. It's so true. So oftentimes I want to go back to the great experience. There are a lot of things you just said that I kind of want to unpack. You bet. You know, it's funny. I'll I'll be uh, playing around on Reddit sometimes. Reddit, hell, have all these different boards. And I think I'm in one that's a jobs board. And you'll read these comments and people go like, oh man, I applied at this place. They make you fill out, you know, you have to answer these one-way videos and answer a bunch of questions. And they have this really negative tone about these different places that they're having to apply. I mean, it's just like this terrible experience. Like, even if I think they were offered the job, they wouldn't want to be there. Yeah. They would just be happy they've got a paycheck. So I'm just curious, when you say great experience, it's, and I'm assuming you mean starting from the point someone applies, what, what are some examples like? Like, Can you give some, share some, like what's an example of a great experience? Yeah. So the, the thing is, is the experience is in the job seeker's mind, right? Not yours. Like you might, as the employer, go, oh, I've got this great experience. <laughs> When they show up for the interview and we grill them for four hours, we offer them free soda. Yay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they get a water. Doesn't care. <laughs> and uh, so I think the biggest thing that you need to think about when you're creating this employee experience is understand you need to do it from the job seekers perspective. What's in it for them? Why do they care? And we base that a lot on two things. Number one is studies have shown that looking for work is one of life's most stressful events. It's right up there with divorce, health diagnosis, loss of a loved one. I mean, seriously stressful stuff. Looking for a job is one of those. So if you go into it knowing that, you can create experiences along the way to relieve that stress, like getting back to them in a timely manner. I can't tell you how many times we talk to somebody and they say, oh yeah, we got a process for following up. They sit in my inbox until I'm ready to follow up or I desperately need somebody. And the thing is, is if someone applies for a job with you, they need a job. They're not going to wait around two or three weeks to hear back from you. You'd never let a customer lead sit for 15 minutes or even five minutes, right? You'd be on it. Hopefully not. (laughs) But you let an application sit for weeks, if not months, and maybe never even get back to them. Maybe just say, ah, never mind. It's really not that important. So that's one side of it. The other thing you need to understand is why people look for work. You've heard it before. People don't leave jobs. They leave people. And if we know that they leave people and we know that this is one of life's most stressful events, we can create an experience for them that says, hey, we want to make this easy for you. And we want to make sure that we're completely transparent on who it is you're going to work for by creating marketing materials, creating videos. So instead of asking them to do the one-way video where they interview themselves, what if the CEO of the company created a video and said, here's why we want you here? 
here's what it means to be a part of this team. What if the hiring manager created a video and said, hey, Tyler, I got your application. I am so excited to talk to you. And you just text it to them. You just record on your phone. You text it to them. You're like, hey, I'm excited to talk to you, Tyler. What's that going to say about not only you as a company, but what's it going to say to that job seeker? <laughs> like, nobody does this. They would have their way for me. They made me feel special. People are going to be excited about that. So little teeny things that you can do to really stand out in the job seeker's mind and create that amazing experience. It's funny because... You know, you just hit it on the head. You said little things. They are little, but they have such a big impact. I don't think I've ever had, you know, my whole life when I even younger, anyone ever send me a video or even now modern times where I, you know, talking to other people, that doesn't happen. That would have such an impact to personalize it that way. So I could see how that would have really, someone would get more intrigued by the role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, the other thing that you said about the teaching people to fish what can we do in regards to just, you know, you see high turnover rates, right? Oftentimes I just had a, in fact, I had a true story. I had a friend had been at the same place that she'd worked for, for many years. I think it was 10 years, big decision for her to leave and go work somewhere else. So she interviewed at this place, went through four or five rounds. I don't remember how many, but it was a lot. Yeah. Big yeah. deal. Like really big time commitment, which is another topic we should probably talk about. She finally decides really hard for her to make switch decides this is the company I want to be at. Hadn't talked to her for a while. I checked in with her once or twice. She said, Oh man, I'm working a lot of hours. This is really surprising me. Reached out to her last week and she said, I'm no longer with the company. It turned out that they wanted me to work 12 hours a day, six days a week, and I had no desire to do that. I was really clear about that during the interviewing process. So I guess where I'm going with this is, man, this poor company here, they got this great, I should say poor company, this poor lady. They got this great person that's delivered, consistent, good work. I know I've worked with her, who after three months, they just, it was clear they were just going to utilize her and wear her out. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, what could, as an employee, I mean, one, what could she have done differently? Because I think they were a little bit deceptive. And then two, why is it companies think they can kind of sneak in uh, not true factual ways of what the job will look like. Well, let's let's break down the second piece. Yeah. Because I think it'll answer the first one. So we see this on both sides. Job seekers do it and employers do it. We both do it. We both go, oh, I've got an interview. Hey, you know, Jimmy in purchasing, can somebody hide Jimmy? I don't want people to know that Jimmy works here. Like if he's the first impression people get, we're not going to get the best people. Can you hide Jimmy? Like employers do this. And then the job seekers say, oh, I hope they don't ask me questions about my resume because it's not real. Chat GPT helped me write that, right? So that we both are doing it. We're both inauthentic during this process. And I think a lot of it comes from, especially in this country, this idea that the first impression matters the most. First impressions are what counts. So what do we do as job seekers? We go cut our hair, we shave, we get dressed. You know, like We put our best foot forward and we tell them everything they want to hear, even if it's not true. Employers do the same damn thing. <laughs> they tell you all the stuff you want to hear. Oh, you want flexible schedule? No problem. Oh, I hope she doesn't find out, it's, you know, 12 hour days, six days a week. Like it's it's that thing. We both do it. And it creates this, what I call this, this inauthentic relationship. We're both lying to each other. And so one of the things we teach our clients to do is during the offer, and yes, you should be putting offers in writing and you should be having a conversation about it if you're not. During the offer meeting, set proper expectations on both sides. And this one event alone, I've seen people make the decision they're not going to work there. 
I've seen employers make the decision, hey, this isn't going to work. I've also seen people go, wow, this might be challenging, but it's going to be worth it. And the best analogy I have for this is imagine you've probably moved in with someone that wasn't a blood-related family member. Those first few months are a challenge. Even though you're in the honeymoon phase, it's a challenge because you start learning things about people like which way the toilet paper is supposed to go and how you squeeze toothpaste and where you get to kick off your shoes. Imagine that before you moved in with someone, you sat in the parking lot or in the driveway and you had a checklist and you just agreed on all these little annoying things. Like, hey, we're going to ask you to work a couple 12-hour days. Is that going to be a problem? And if they say, no, it's not a problem, well, guess what? You just lied to them, right? Oh, yeah, it's going to be a problem. Okay, let's talk about that. Like, I want you here. Let's talk about that. You know, how can we make that make sense for you? And you get to go through this checklist and go through all these little annoying things and just put it all out there and be transparent and be authentic and, and set proper expectations. I believe that if in the first 90 days, employment doesn't work out, It's because people weren't authentic and they didn't set proper expectations on both sides, on both sides. But in this case, like your example with your friend, we had a client did this, followed our process to a T and the candidate starts crying towards the end of this meeting. He's like, are you okay? She's like, I can't take the job. He's like, what are you talking about? She goes, well, your your schedule wasn't going to work with me, but I needed a job so bad I was going to take it knowing you probably wouldn't fire me and you just deal with it or it'd take you a few weeks or a month to fire me while I looked for something else. You were going to buy me some time. But now that you've spent so much time, I can't do that to you. And we actually had that happen with a client and he was so mad at me. I'm like, man, you just dodged a bullet. He's like, no, you cost me an office manager. (laughs) I was like, no, man, dodged a bullet. And we just don't take the time to realize that it's called an employee-employer relationship for a reason. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. I'm like, man, you just dodged a bullet. He's like, no, you cost me an office manager. I was like, no, man, dodged a bullet. And we just don't take the time to realize that it's called an employee-employer relationship for a reason. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. I like that transparency. It sounds good. I Having been on the front lines, I kind of can remember though, like both employer and employee, it's hard. Transparency is good. And I think setting expectations is really important to both parties, you know, like, Hey, I've got to pick up my kids every, you know, assuming go to office, I've got to be out at two o'clock every Wednesday. I think, you know, that's a, you know, those are common ones where like you hire someone and then they say, Hey, I can never work Fridays, Mondays, and Wednesdays. And it's like, didn't we just go through this? So, you know, it works both ways to your point. Yeah. I think that transparency, what happens is just like the office manager that started crying, you made a comment about, he said, he or she said, I need a couple, you know, he might've taken the job to get a couple weeks of pay and just buy some time. I think that's the problem. I hate to say it from an employee standpoint. Sometimes they're thinking that way, just buy some time and see how this works out. Maybe they'll work out. And maybe even honestly, from an employer standpoint, to some degree, they're thinking the same thing, like, oh, maybe this will all work itself out. And so maybe that's where the grayness happens. 
I think too that we've moved away and the pandemic really exposed this. I think the problem's been there much longer than the pandemic, but the pandemic exposed this is job seekers realize they have options. They don't have to be beholden to one employer. There are other things they can do. And a lot of people have made the decision. I don't need this crazy career path where I'm going to retire rich. I just need to enjoy life along the way. And as employers, we haven't shifted. We haven't made that shift. The job seekers have made that shift, especially the younger generation. Employers haven't. And so what's ended up happening is we've got somebody that's got one expectation, somebody has got a different one, and they're just not lining up. And it's creating a lot of problems. But I think too many employers, especially in blue collar, have spent way too much time thinking of people as just an asset. Right? They're a cog in my machine. And if, my, if the cog breaks down, I just go find another cog. But what you have to realize when you hire somebody... You get the whole person. You don't get to pick and choose. You get their hopes and their goals and their dreams and their work ethic and their drama and their relationship issues and their money issues. Like you get all of it. And as employers, if we recognize that and realize, hey, we need to be here to support them through not just the good times, but the bad times, you'll be everybody will be so much happier because of it. Do you find small businesses, because they generally have limited resources, you know, limited HR staffs, if any HR staff, depending on their size. How do they find time or what's your recommendation to make sure that they're having this empathetic side, making sure they're connected to their employees? I mean, what's your thought process around that? Let's say it's a, you know, one to $20 million company. It could be anywhere from 10 employees to 100 employees. Their infrastructure is going to look a little different. What are your thoughts around making sure they're, you know, being as competitive in the marketplace as they can be and acquiring good people. I think for those businesses that still have the owner, the entrepreneur in the business, they're still involved in the day-to-day, 30% of their time, a whole day and a half a week should be spent on their people. That's it. Wow. Don't be solving problems around fulfillment or sales or profitability or that. Start solving the problems with your people. And it's it blows my mind how many people think that turnover doesn't cost a lot of money. <laughs> blows my mind. Turnover is the most expensive thing that your business deals with. More than anything else, turnover is incredibly expensive. And if you would just invest in your people, the return on investment is huge. We've seen this happen so many times where someone has a family member who goes through a health issue. And it's a small business. I mean, it's five, seven employees. And they say, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a flexible schedule. We can't give this to everybody. But we're going to give you a flexible schedule so you can deal with whatever. You just let us know best you can. And we'll work with you through it over two, three months, four months sometimes. And that person comes back, they know there's not an employer on the planet that will do what you just did. And they will be so loyal to you that you know they'll go to the ends of the earth with you before they're even thinking about leaving. But as employers, we don't think long game. We don't think that. We think, oh, well, they're dealing with some family stuff. They're not here. They're not producing. They need to go. But even if you're paying them for that time off, like that, it's so minuscule compared to what it's going to cost you to replace somebody and start this whole process over again. So uh, we've seen it happen so many times and we've got some calculators to show what the cost of turnover looks like and how to really figure this out. But I think that entrepreneurs should be spending 30% of their time with their people. I think that hiring managers need to be spending 30% of their time on their people. And when you do that, your people will not let you down. Yeah. And not just the cost, uh, also the cost of time, which is a big thing. So let's say it's six months, you spend training someone or trying to get up to speed, and then they fall off. You basically start all over again, and then you have to do that all over. So that's an opportunity cost too. So, so I agree with you there. Just in that whole vein of interacting with your employers as a small company, 
like, you know, a lot of owners and entrepreneurs will think like, hey, I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to, how do I know it's going to change? I'll, I'll pay them for two weeks because they're having some personal family. How do I know they're ever going to turn into a good employee or whatever? This may go on for a while. I mean, what are the answers around that? Like, when do you know when it's, you know, not a healthy situation and it's just, you know, yeah. is yeah. Well, what's your thoughts around that? So I think it's a couple of things, but I think the most important thing is you need to be making better hiring decisions. Okay. When you go through our process, you're looking at not only can they do the job, but you're looking at can they fit in our culture? You're also looking at, is this someone that can win in the role? Can they really put the numbers up and perform? Most people don't interview long enough. Like when you said that your friend went through five interviews, I would bet you if you looked at those five interviews, they probably could have compressed it all down into an hour and not wasted everybody's time. Because it's the same thing. It's like, oh, hey, Tyler, I really like you. Can you go do the exact same thing you just did with me with someone else? I'll walk through your resume five times. Yeah. <laughs> what a waste of time. What I'd rather do is say we have a defined process. And once you get through culture fit and we go, Tyler, hey, you're a good fit for us culturally. We don't have a culture conversation again. We're not looking at that stuff. We're saying now, can you do the job? Can you win in the role? We're looking at those things. So there's a difference between tolerating a lack of performance and supporting someone going through a difficult time. If you've got someone who is a low performer before they went through the difficult time, <laughs> you supporting them is not going to make them a top performer. It's not going to happen. But if you've got a top performer who all of a sudden is struggling for some unknown reason and you find out they're going through something personally, why wouldn't you want to do that? We had a client early on in, in this, when I was building this system, we did a behavioral assessment, which I'm a big fan of pre-hire assessments. Top performer, HVAC technician, his performance was a third of what it was just a month ago. They couldn't figure it out. Did this assessment. It showed some things. So they went to him and said, hey, this report says this. Turns out he's going through a horrible divorce. Thought he was hiding it. Thought nobody would, nobody would know. And uh, he starts crying right there in front of the CEO. He's like, I just, I didn't think you guys would support me through this. I'm just doing my best to get through this and get through that. And they came to an agreement and they said, here's the deal. Anytime you need time off, as long as you can give us 24 hours notice, we will take care of the schedule for you. And just in that moment, even though he was still going through the divorce, his performance went up because he didn't feel like he had to hide it anymore. He could just be natural and just say, hey guys, I'm dealing with this, dealing with this. And he knew he had the support from his people. It's not like they had to give him time off and his performance went up. So there's a difference between tolerating low performance and letting someone go through some personal stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a great explanation. Hey, I want to, before we wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about a book. You've got your book coming out on, I have yeah. October 17th. Is that correct? That is correct. And is this the correct title? Is it Hire Better People Faster? Is that the working title or is that the actual title? That is the final title. In fact, I don't know if you're going to see this, but I got my first copy right here. Right on. Oh, First one off the printing presses. I wanted to make sure it looked good before I started ordering it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the book is done. We'll have an audio book with it, but it is Hire Better People Faster. And it's a deep dive into our proven process yeah. for how to do what we're talking about right now. How exciting. And then what do you have? Like is it in the book, is there a core process in terms of what steps you should be following? What can we expect? Yeah. So it's an outline of the core fit hiring system, okay. which is our process, seven components in the employee experience, which we already talked about, everything from how do you attract them, how do you hire them, and then how do you engage them and keep them around long-term? Because we need to understand that it's not just, we got to hire more people. It's not just, we've got to onboard more people. It's not just, we have to do all of it. And all of it is really focused around the core of your organization, which is 
this idea that people don't leave jobs, they leave people. So if we can get really clear on company culture and really clear on what it is we have to offer them, all those other things become so much easier. What are your thoughts? And I hope you don't mind me bringing up another common methodology. Have you heard of top grading? I'm sure you have. I have. Where does top grading fit in in terms of your style and their style? And if you're open to it, what do you think of their approach? Yeah, I think that top grading very much has a, you're a cog in my machine and I'm filtering through cogs as fast as possible. There are some things in top grading that I like. If you're going to do reference checks, which by the way, I think reference checks are garbage, top grading agrees, but they do have a process for helping you do reference checks, which if that works for your organization, awesome. But you know, I'm not a big fan of top grading. I don't like the idea that you're going to eliminate people every year so that you can get the best of the best. Just start making better hiring decisions. Oh, and be authentic and be real and you'll attract the best. Yeah. I love to hear you say that. I always, whenever I go through top grading, I always kind of scratch my head on that, on that attrition methodology. I have mixed feelings about it. I feel like if you hire really good people, why do you need to, I mean, sure, you're going to occasionally have people that don't fit into the the scheme of things, but generally if you're doing that throughout the year, why do you have to have this approach where certain people aren't meeting the well, when you're GE and you're figuring out how to get out of bankruptcy, which right, is where right. top grading came from, right, right. <laughs> you, Jack Welch didn't know who most of those people that were being top graded were. So he had no emotional connection to them. But in the small business world, I think it's, I don't think it's the the best, the best way to do it. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, hey, just last question I always love to ask you, just in terms of a business or life tip, something you've learned in your journey that you could share with us that perhaps we could apply to our life or business. You got anything off the top of your head? You know, there's there's a couple of things, but one of them that I, I think is really important, and this applies when you're looking for people as well, is, is figure out what your niche is and, and niche deep and niche as fast as you can. And, and what I mean by that is in the recruiting side of things. So we've talked about niching, you know, you know, know about niching for the customer acquisition side, makes it easier to build processes, makes it easier to do all that stuff. But on the recruiting side, find out who your people are. Get really clear on who the right person is and just niche and say, hey, we've built an amazing culture for this. For example, at Core Matters, our niche is stay-at-home parents. Like when I'm recruiting, stay-at-home parents is where it's at for me. I want people that need the flexibility, that, that want to be able to figure out how to integrate their work and life. And, and we build all of our systems, all of our tools, all of everything around that idea that we're here to attract and hire stay-at-home parents. That's what we do. And for most of our clients, we help them find that niche, whether it's people that are into sports or whether it's people that are into the outdoors or... Because if you can create those commonalities and, and then it's so much easier to create a system, it's way easier to create communication, it's way easier to engage them. Business becomes easier when you niche. Plus you create your tribe, right? Like if everybody's yeah. you know stay-at-home parents, coworkers, colleagues, there's probably going to be better connection, I would think. They're Absolutely. all going to be talking about the same type of thing. So that's cool. Very cool. I like that. Hey, so your website, you mentioned corematters.com, C-O-R-E matters.com. But you gave me a special link that I think gives access to tools. It's corematters.com and then the slash and then think hyphen Tyler. And that'll get you to, a, I believe they give their email address and you'll give them some tools. Is that correct? Absolutely. So they get the first two chapters of my new book. So even though it's not available right now, I don't know when this is publishing, but they can get the first two chapters of my book. Um, I've got a 10-minute masterclass that gives them a quick overview of our program. And then as well as a, an assessment that they can take. It's 14 questions, takes two minutes. Helps them figure out where do you start in the Corfit hiring system? Do you start with find or do you start with interview? Like, where do you start? Where do you need the most support? It takes two minutes and you get a customized report that tells you exactly what you need. 
Very cool. Thanks for doing that. And once again, if there's if people corematters.com is your website. If people wanted to reach out to you anywhere else you'd like them to go? Well, LinkedIn, of course. Uh, very active on LinkedIn. They can look me up on LinkedIn, Ryan England, or even at Core Matters there. And uh, we're very active there as well. And England is without the D, E-N-G-L-I-N. I'll put all this in the show notes at thinktyler.com. Yeah. Ryan, super appreciate you being on the show. You got a wealth of knowledge. You're you're quick with uh, being able to solve people problems, I can tell. So you, you, you're a great resource to have, and I appreciate it. Thank you. And congratulations on the book. I'll definitely buy a copy and have a great one, okay? Thank you. Take care. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid. Electric acid.